you are listening to Surviving Parenthood, the parenting podcast, the podcast which aims to challenge the one-size-fits-all parenting story. I am Sam, and as you know, I am forever curious about how parents survive modern-day parenting. Today, I am talking to Elliot Ray. He is the founder of NFF, Music Football Fatherhood, the parenting platform for men, which is all about open conversations around fatherhood. The BBC even described it as a dad's version of Mumsnet, as it aims to provide a space for dads to share the ups and downs of parenting. The MFF promotes a positive representation of diverse fatherhood through their Daddy Debates podcast and monthly peer sessions, The Lodge. Um, so, Elliot, thanks for joining us today. I'm just wondering if you can tell us about your parenting setup at home. Yeah, so it is me and my wife, Nanny. Cool. And we have one daughter, Eleni, she's five. So, um, we're, we're married and we live in Watford. And in terms of the way we set up. So my daughter goes to school now, which is great. Cool. And um, we, we pretty much share the responsibilities. So we share the pickups and the drop-offs and that sort of stuff. And um, we both work. So, so yeah, we have that kind of arrangement. So it's like a real well. co-parenting situation. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess traditionally co-parenting is when the, when I hear that word, I think about you know parents that aren't together, but I guess, yeah, you could say, you know, shared parenting, yeah. That's what we try to aim for. Shared yeah. parenting, and that's a good way of putting it. Um, so I've literally just asked you about a funny parenting moment or foul, and you didn't have anything to come up with, so now I'm just sitting here feeling really bad. So you're just going to have to dig deep into your subconscious and find something that makes me feel better. Well, how was homeschooling? <laughs> Were there any sort of, oh, God, you know, how am I going to get through the day moments? <laughs> the whole thing was <laughs> the whole of last year. Oh, God. Especially the first lockdown. Oh, it was horrible. It was awful. Like, um, it was horrible. I mean, I've heard some parents talking about it was nice they got to spend more time with their children, especially some dads saying that, which is great. That's and cool. That is really cool. I think for me, it was it was a nightmare, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, there were times when I thought my head was going to explode. Literally. Yeah. The thing is, it's not like, oh, you just spend more time with your kids like you're on holiday. No. It was like, you're at home, you've got to homeschool, you know, they're stressed out, they're worried, they're missing their friends. You still got to work, still got to cook. Cooking was the worst, like, and washing up. Yeah. There was just so much washing up at the end of the day. And oh. there's so much food to make. It's literally <laughs> just like a conveyor belt of, I just felt like it was breakfast, snacks, lunch, snacks, a bit more snacks, bed, um, dinner, snack, and then bedtime. I just felt like it was a conveyor belt of making food and washing up yeah. and then having to, like, shoehorn in work and you know, some kind of decent parenting and homeschooling. It's just like an impossible situation to be put in. So I feel your pain. Yeah, it was horrible. Cool. It was horrible. So you're not only in the crazy, busy world of parenting, you are also very busy at the moment with the release of your new book, Dad, Untold Stories yeah. of Fatherhood, Love, Mental Health and Masculinity. I know you've probably been through this a million times over the last few weeks, but can you tell our listeners a bit about the new book, please? Yeah, sure. I'm never going to get bored of talking okay, about the book. Okay, cool. I'm a bit worried about going over the <laughs> ground, but if you're good, that's cool with me. <laughs> no, no, no. I should have a copy. Why haven't I got a copy here to show everyone? Um, uh... But, uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's a collection of stories. It's, um, you know, my life's work is the most... The thing I'm the most proud of, other than being a husband and dad, I should say. Um, but other than that, it's, it's you know, <laughs> it literally is my life's work in this, in a book, basically. And it is a collection of 20 stories from different dads. 
who have shared oh. so openly and show so honestly around their fatherhood experiences. Sneezes, this is dads like literally it sounds cheesy to say, but this is dads like you, like you haven't heard them before. You know, this level of vulnerability is something that I personally haven't seen. I've worked with people and, and dads for years, but this level of vulnerability as a collection of stories from a collection of men. Um, you know, it just doesn't, hasn't existed in the world before. So we've got 20 dads. They're all different in terms mm. of all across, all across the UK from different ages, um, different sexualities, different races. Um, but they all have come together really because they recognize the strength in the collective and they all want to kind mm. of break down some of those traditional ideas around masculinity that you can't, you can't talk about things that are tough and you can't talk about um, being a dad and some of the difficult moments in that. So we've got stories from, you know, some of the most difficult parts of, of just being a human, actually. Um, so Alec, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. writes about widowhood. He lost his wife shortly after the second birth of their, of their, their second son, the birth of, of their second son. Mm-hmm. Um, so he writes, you know, really honestly about his experiences there. Andy, um, his, his partner had three miscarriages. So he talks about that from a dad's perspective. Jamie went through stillbirth. So we've got those, you know, really, really, yeah, really kind of touching um, chapters. But we also have some chapters that are kind of, you know, everyone will experience in, in some shape or form or a lot of people will experience. So, you know, James writes about identity and just having a lack of time as a new dad and, and trying to re, re kind of connect with your, your hobbies. Got a couple of chapters around co-parenting. We've got stuff around mental health in there, um, around around being in a mixed-faced relationship and raising a child of dual heritage. So these are 20 dads that have come together. And I think the the book's having an amazing impact. It's like, you know, sometimes we get feedback from people about how it's, um, you know, helping in their relationships with their son or their husband or their own dad Mm. and how it's helping them to to see uh, the world differently and to not make assumptions about people and understand different people a bit more. So yeah, really, really proud of it. It was published on the 1st of June. And um, it's doing really well. It's, it's done so well. So, yeah, I'm so, so proud of how it's going. Oh, I'm so, so pleased for you. I'm just wondering if you can tell us, I know in the introduction to your book, I've read the intro, I've got that from, um, <laughs> uh, when you started the MFF, Music Football Fatherhood, I know you said in the introduction it was sort of like your own version of therapy. Do you want to tell us a bit about, mm-hmm. more about your own personal uphill struggles and what it was like after the birth of your child? Yeah, so for me, it, it did start really as, as something very personal for me, really, a, a space to just kind of share my experiences and my thoughts. Um, at the time of of starting the platform, it was New Year's Day, actually, 2016. So my daughter had been two and a half months old. And um, it was we were in the thick of it, really, because what, what, what happened with us is we had a really good pregnancy, which was fine, but the birth was quite difficult, a very long labor. And... Um, Lots of up and downs in terms of heart rate scares and stuff like that. And my daughter was quite ill when she was born. And she had a, an, an infection called GBS, group B strep, um, which meant when she was born, she wasn't kind of breathing properly. She was quite grey and they rushed her to intensive care. And my wife was also quite sick as well. She was losing a lot of blood. Mm. So we spent a couple of weeks in hospital um, and it was up and down. We didn't know whether the antibiotics were working. One minute the infection was going down, one minute it wasn't sort of thing. So it was kind of, you know, a really tough time in hospital. And then at the end of the two weeks, my daughter developed this bump in the back of her head just okay. randomly. Yeah. Um, and that was really worrying because, you know, the doctors were really concerned about what, what it was. And um, 
we had to do an emergency MRI scan and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, really difficult time in the hospital. Yeah, thank God it all worked out. My daughter's healthy and she's fine. That's but good. Um, what happened was we kind of went back home, a few days at home and back to work. And so over the coming months, uh, yeah, kind of developing symptoms of PTSD. I didn't know at the time, but the nightmares, the insomnia, basically not having not having time to process the events of what had happened. It was kind of mm. back into work and new parenting and whatnot. And my wife, my wife also um, had postnatal anxiety as well. So, mm. so for me, I guess MFF at the time was a space where I could just kind of express myself. Um, it was an outlet. It was something that I guess I could control <laughs> and own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it started as that. And over the over the time, it's it's kind of grown to be a support network for other dads oh. too, which is something that I didn't actually think it was going to be at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> so it's quite funny how things work out, I guess. So that wasn't like the original intention, but it just sort of unfolded and became a togetherness for yeah. shared experiences. But- yeah, so at the very beginning, it was more just like my personal thing. I think very quickly, I did realize that other dads wanted the space too. So after three, four months, it was it was evident that you know people were saying, "Oh, what's this? Can I write? Can I get involved?" So I did kind of quickly realize this, this was something bigger than myself. But mm. literally at the beginning, it was literally just a space for me to start writing and a personal blog, really. Okay, that's cool. If we could just go back to when you said about sort of owning and sharing your feelings, I'm just sort of wondering in your view why you think a lot of men, and obviously I don't want to, I don't know if it's a lot of men, but some men at least, um, feel like it is difficult to talk about their feelings, feel like it is difficult to bear their soul and be vulnerable. Yes, I think it starts from from early, you know, it starts yeah. from before we're men, before we're dads. Um, a lot of these ideas are are kind of consciously and subconsciously communicated to young children. Yeah. Um, the way we speak about boys, the way, there are expectations around boys, the way we act around them. Um, it doesn't lend yeah. itself to kind of men growing up and all of a sudden being these kind of amazing communicators around their emotions. It just doesn't happen, you know, because a lot of the time we teach boys to be... Um, to be the to be strong, to, yeah. to not complain, to not cry. You know, yeah. that old saying, boys don't cry, you know, that kind of sums it up completely, really. Mm. And there's lots of studies actually that show in schools there is uh, you know, those those kind of gender those gender roles start from schools, even from teachers may do it mm-hmm. subconsciously as well. There's a, a charity called the Fawcett Society. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're doing a bit of work with them and they they are kind of really big in that space around challenging stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And it does it's damaging for boys and girls. You know, um, girls have it too, mm-hmm. in terms of you know teachers and, and maybe sometimes even parents not encouraging them to do sport, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's um, it starts from it starts from a young age, and then we we kind of get surprised when when men get older, and it's like, why can't you communicate your emotions? It's like, uh, <laughs> uh, but I haven't been taught, <laughs> I haven't been taught to. Yeah. So I think it is really important for like parents and and teachers as well to just be mindful, I guess, you know, about yeah. how they are bringing up their children and making sure. They they are not then you know the, the the gender of that child isn't isn't kind of driving some of their parenting decisions, especially when it comes to emotions and communication and stuff like that. So is that what you would love to see? Sort of that 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 gender stereotyping being really looked at within the family and school network. Like, do you feel like if we start a lot younger, then things will really start to change? And by the time those boys get to adults, they will be much better communicators and be able to express yeah. themselves more freely. 
Yeah, I think it's part of the solution, definitely. Yeah. I think sometimes we can look at problems and we're looking at problems, not just this problem, but you know, in society in general, we, we look mm. at problems when it's too late. Yeah. We kind of look at putting a plaster over something rather than looking at the root cause. Yeah. And you know, when we're looking at suicide rates, like three out of four suicides are men. And mm. I don't think that's because men have more challenges than women mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's literally just the way that we deal with our problems and the way we process them yeah. and who we speak about who we speak to um, with, about our problems. So there's lots of different things there. And that starts, the root The root of that is, you know, we are all uh, a product of our childhood, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. You go to therapy, it's quite scary. So we are all products of that. And I think um, that's where it has to start. It has to start there, you know, and, and hopefully if we can do that more yeah. and breed a generation of kind of emotionally literate men, if you like, of people who are, able to communicate, who are able to share, who are able to talk about things they find tough, whose friendships are are mm. different to maybe traditionally what male friendships have been. Mm. I think that will solve a lot of the problems. It's so funny, like even myself, you know, I talk, I'm talking like this now, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, six, seven years ago, I wasn't this person. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, like even my friendships based on what I've done, my friendships are completely different now. We're some of the same people. Yeah. But we we speak on such a different level now. Um, because of experiences, you know, because yeah. of parenthood. <laughs> parenthood is a big one. Um, but just personal experiences, life humbles you along the way. Yeah. And you realize actually, you know, as a human being, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be, I've had some great times. Over the last years, I've had some amazing experiences, like literally life-changing, great stuff. Also some difficult things around, you know, loss and all that sort of stuff. So I think we need to be able to be whole and we need to be able to talk about both. The Twinkle Parents Hub is full of helpful advice, activities and ideas to support people like you. You can find stacks of content to help with your child's learning, blogs packed with fun ideas and resources to support you and your child's health and well-being. Head to the Twinkle website, click Parents and see how we can help you survive and thrive. Twinkle Parents, made by teachers, trusted by parents. Yeah, and I'm guessing with new dads especially, I'm just thinking of, you know, that that suicide rate that you mentioned there, I'm just wondering, you know, it is such a shock, isn't it, when you enter the world of parenthood? And I imagine that new dads are especially vulnerable when it comes to that. They are, yeah. So there's some recent research. Um, A guy called Mark Williams is a big mental health campaigner. He's done some research recently, and it shows that um, 39% of new dads are concerned, so expectant dads are concerned about their mental health. One in mm-hmm. 10 new dads will experience some some symptoms of postnatal depression in the first six months. Okay. Um, and new dads whose partners are diagnosed with postnatal depression are 50% more likely to develop, to develop it themselves as well. So, um, yeah, I think for new dads especially, it is a challenge, not just because well, lockdown's a big thing. <laughs> Being yeah. a new parent in the lockdown, I imagine it must have been very hard because there's yeah. no support. Yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah. you can't go to your grandparents' house. You can't, um, or your parents' house. Yeah. It's NHS support, a lot of it has been online. You're cooped up in the house a lot of the time. So, so yeah, during lockdown, I think it's been a challenge for people. I think for new dads, there's there's the, the you know, the life change of, of that pressure now to feel like they need to be the breadwinner relationships change a lot as well mm. sleep deprivation all these things that we know but also you know there's hormone changes in men too some men mm. will um experience a, a drop in testosterone 
when they're a new dad. And that is really interesting. I think like we're all ultimately animals and our bodies do that. Yeah. So we can, you know, build, we can build bonds with our children, but that um, yeah. hormone change can also result in, in like, yeah, low mood and stuff like that too. So there's plenty of reasons as to why. And I think it's really good now that some, some NHS trusts are kind of assessing new dads, especially new dads that are, are, are seen as high risk. So if you're high risk, that means that you okay. have either witnessed a traumatic birth or you have had previous mental health conditions or your partner suffering from postnatal mental health um, problems as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that would be like a really positive step forward, wouldn't it? If that was, you know, if if that screening became more commonplace, that would be an amazing step and what about sort of expectant dads I'm just wondering you know I think you do have these preconceived ideas of what parenthood might look and feel like and when you get there it is completely different um and I think like with me I think I just thought I could in some ways continue some of the aspects of my life as it was when I you know became a mum and it just you know just the rug was literally ripped from beneath my (laughs) I mean, it was just, especially, I, th- I think actually the first one is probably more difficult. I when the, I've got two, when my second one came along, I think you're just used to the like, sort of hellish sleepless nights and you're used to sacrificing yourself fully. But, yeah. you know, the, from going, you know, from sort of going from, you know, having a really nice full life and being, you know, doing really nice things all of a sudden, you know, just being at home and not doing any of those things. I'm just wondering, like, in terms of expectant dads, if you had any advice or anything to say about that. Yeah, loads. So I think um, with expectant dads, it's and we we talk a lot about this. We've got we've got a podcast called Daddy Debates. We just did an episode on this last week, actually, cool. some new dads. Um, but I think the important thing for for, new, for expectant dads is to is to identify with their role as a dad very early on. Mm-hmm. So babies can hear us. I think it's twenty four weeks. Cool, they hear yeah. us. And they start to build relationships with obviously their mother. And the people around them as well. So dads can start to build that relationship with their babies before they are born. I think that's really important, actually, because what happens a lot of the time, um, men won't identify themselves as parents until their baby is here. Mm-hmm. And they won't think about what kind of dad they want to be and, and a vision for their family and how they want to parent and all those sort of things and their, their relationship and how, what they're going to do in terms of sharing responsibilities. They won't think about that stuff until after the baby's born. And after was after the baby's born, obviously, yeah, it's hard to think about anything, right? Yeah. So like, so it's it's very difficult. So I think yeah. what what we try to encourage is expecting dads to to think about what kind of dad they want to be, and okay. by that I mean what kind of relationship do they want to have with their children? What kind of dad are they going to be? Are they going to be a really soft, playful dad? Are they going to be a bit more of an authority, disciplinarian kind of dad? Um, what do they want to do with their children for fun? And then think of that work, you know, like how are you going to work? Are you going to kind of try and work flexibly? Are you going to just work part, part-time, part full-time? You know, what, what's that going to look like between you and your partner? Mm. What's your family setup going to be? Like the more that we can get dads to, to think about those kind of things, mm. it does really help. Not just the dad, but that family when the baby is born. Because like, you know, I think it's 40% of parents will argue more when they're, when they're um, having a new baby. Mm. And that's... That that stat is probably higher. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> It's probably higher, um, <laughs> and and I think a lot of it is you know some of it is just we we can't get away it's just you know sleep deprivation and whatever. Mm. But some of it I think is 
due to a lack of communication. Mm. So for example, we did um, marriage prep with our vicar before we got married and then we did baby prep. And that was really good because we went to their house and they just talked to us about some of the things we should be thinking about. So, you know, think about who's going to do the night feeds, for example, how are you going to distribute that stuff? Um, Think about, yeah, just think about the the jobs that you're going to have to do. Think about the vision for your family. Think about what kind of family you want to be, where do you want to live? What kind of, you know, what kind of child do you want to raise? Obviously, there's, they're going to be themselves, but what, what, what kind of values do you want to instill in them? You know, all those sort of things. And that really, really helped us. That really, really helped us. And I think having that plus the experience that we went through meant that in some ways, parenting was very difficult, but it was very easy. Mm. It was very difficult in terms of the things that we were experiencing. Mm. But actually, you know, sleepless nights and all that sort of stuff wasn't a problem because we were, we'd already talked about stuff, but we were just so happy to have our daughter there. So, mm. you know, wake up in the night wasn't, wasn't really, a, you know, being tired, but we didn't really complain about that sort of stuff. But I think for other parents, obviously everyone has different situations. So I think for expecting dads, it's about communication. I think it's about thinking about what sort of, sort of dad you want to be. It's about building a relationship with your baby, you know, reading to them, singing to them, touching them. Um, yeah. and doing that stuff really early on. That helps to build that attachment and um, yeah. dads need to build attachment with their baby. That's really important that they build that attachment with their yeah. baby really early on. And when it comes to like stuff like equality and, and you know, gender equality and equal parenting, the earlier on that a dad can build yeah. attachment with their baby, they're not going to just need to do parenting because they're the dad. They're going to want to. They're going to want to work flexibly when when the kid gets older. They're going to want to do the school pickup because they they have that bond and they actually enjoy spending time with their child. So yeah, it's really important on so many levels. Oh, that's so cool. So I guess it's about keeping that really open, frank, honest communication going. I'm just wondering Mm. what um, what kind of dad you are. How would you describe your parenting style? (sighs) I don't know. I ask my daughter this all the time, actually. He says, you tickle me a lot. Oh, it's cute. <laughs> yeah, what kind of dad am I? I don't know, really. I think I'm, I think I'm a mix of everything, really. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like super chilled out sometimes. And I always, I, I let her kind of get away with a lot more than I got away with, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so part of me is super chilled. Part of me like is, just wants her to be, happy really and confident and I think yeah I've realized the importance of like feeling free and feeling like not so scared of authority mm. so I always I always want her to just have that so I try to do what I can to breed her confidence mm. um but then so yeah I'm quite easy going on that but then other things I'm quite I'm quite strict on I think just in terms of respect yeah um in terms of you know little things that not like the other day, she threw a tissue in the park and didn't pick it up. Okay, pick it up. Yeah. I was just like, what are you doing? Yeah, you get that. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's yeah. like ridiculous, you know. <laughs> so some things I'm like super. <laughs> and then other things I'm like, yeah, just stay up to 11pm and watch the football, it's fine. <laughs> oh, I love that. I think it is a bit inconsistent anyway though, isn't it? It's like, I'm the same. Sometimes I'm like, whatever, do what you like, when you like. And I've got nothing to say in terms of parenting. Sometimes I'm like, no, you're going to do it exactly the way I want you to. <laughs> Um, just about football now, I'm just going to seamlessly yeah. move on to the subject. I just really wanted to check in with you, um, like on a personal level. Obviously, we're recording this after the Euro final. 
And I know this week you held an event on rewriting our narratives and anti-racist mm. parenting. And I know that we've chatted and I know that you were like immensely proud of the players. But I just wanted to check in with you on a personal level, really, like in a lot of ways after the unsurprising racial abuse, how you're doing it, how you're finding things. Yeah, and no, thanks for asking. It's it's a weird one. It's been a weird one. Like today, I'm pretty tired today, and I was thinking mm. it's it's because on Sunday, on, so on Sunday I had my first drink that oh. I've had I think maybe all year. I've kind of stopped drinking, yeah. but then during the match I had a couple of beers and stuff like that, and uh, so I, I was I was feeling it <laughs> probably for that reason on Monday morning. <laughs> and but then it was like I saw I saw you know what was going on on Monday morning, yeah. and to be honest, it wasn't it wasn't surprising. Like when no. I saw Saka and Sancho and Rashford missed, I was like, oh, you know, yeah. turn, the TV off, turn the TV off straight away. Didn't yeah. go on social media. You know what's coming. Yeah. You know what's going to come. So yeah. then on Monday, um, you know, I didn't really engage that's with not, it. That's all, not a child, honest. by the way. That's, this is my dog making those weird screechy sounds. It's not my child, like trying to get my. T- <laughs> so if you're put off by thinking that I've got my child in a cupboard, one minute. Sorry, I interrupted your flow. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Um, so, so yeah, so yesterday, yesterday morning, yeah, I personally didn't engage with a lot of the stuff I saw. I kind of, people sent me stuff. And I was like, just don't send me stuff. Like I literally don't want to see it. But then, um, mm. we we're making breakfast and my wife was like, do you know what you should do? Like an MFF Zoom about this. You should, um, cause we did some stuff last year around the murder of George Floyd. And so I was like, yeah, do you know mm. what? That's, that's a good idea. We should do something around anti-racist parenting and also around, around mm-hmm. resilience, um, resilience just in general for our children that might be disappointed about the result, but also about anti-racism and how we can help our kids. So yeah, literally um, mm. did the flyer, put it out there before I'd organise the event, just put it out there and people started signing up and I was yeah. like, okay, better organise this now. <laughs> so, so like 2pm, I was messaging people that I know, like <laughs> parenting experts, can you come and talk at this event? Or, you know, So we got a panel of, that, of, of parents, we got a couple of parenting experts and we had, you know, good good turnout we had a, an amazing conversation basically and it was funny because a couple yeah. of hours before i went on five live i was on bbc radio five live talking about the event <gasps> that I literally just organized like six hours ago so um so that was quite funny the whole day was mad so yeah monday was crazy and then um yesterday was a busy day as well talking about talking at the appg for fatherhood and doing a couple of events and whatnot all part of parliamentary group for fatherhood so um i haven't necessarily engaged with a lot of the stuff um but i think overall mm. it's it's so sad and it's so sad on so many different mm. levels because i think <clears throat> the sad thing is for me is the racism and also the fact that mm. it was just going so well you know we'll have like the week saturday it was just unity right like i was walking around and people were wearing england tops black Asian people, white people, all, everyone was on the same page. Mm. You can see the fans were so diverse in the stadiums. Like everyone was like, yeah, let's just get behind this team. And it seemed like great. Yeah, yeah. And then it just seems like, how did we get here? Like literally the, the, the two days after or a day after Sunday, it seems like we've just gone backwards. And I was just like, what, how did we go from being in what seemed like a good place to now, to this, you know, and it's just, it's just sad. Yeah. It's sad. It's yeah. not surprising. It's just sad. It's like, so literally. sad. It's not, it's definitely it's sad. not surprising. Yeah. 
And I think as well, like in terms of the unsurprising thing, I think the last per, you know, the last thing that everyone needs is more sort of white people, and I include myself in this, like coming in and like showing their shock and horror because it's the the reality for people of colour living in this country on a, on a daily basis. So um, it isn't surprising, but it is deeply sad, and it just reveals the sort of inherent conditioning within this country. I think, unfortunately, I don't know if that will make it into the uh, final podcast but yeah no it's sad and I think um yeah it's sad (laughs) just sad like my overriding feelings is that I'm not angry to be honest yeah I'm out of anger at the moment um I'm out of shock it's just it's just disappointing and sad basically not disappointing in a shocking way just just like oh actually it was felt like it was it was we were in a good place you know so um yeah that is very sad and I keep using that word because it's true but I think ultimately There's a couple of things here. Like we, you know, the, the the reason we called the event, you know, writing our own narratives is because oh. that's what I did straight away. You know, as soon as they missed the penalty, the only reason I went on social media was to was to tweet mm. and say that you know all the players, the five penalty takers, were all brave. They are courageous. They showed leadership, and you know they will grow from the experience, they'll learn from the experience and ultimately we move on, you know? Like, for me, that is the narrative and I think it's so important that we don't let the racist people and all these people saying the ignorant things, we don't let them control the narratives in our minds Mm -hmm. because ultimately we had a great team, black players, white players, we played amazing. Mm -hmm. We did so well. No one expected us to get to the final. We did so, so well. Those players that stood up to take the penalty, they are the brave ones. To so say you're going to stand up and say you're yeah. going to put the weight yeah. of the country on your shoulders and you're going to take a penalty, that is amazing. We should be celebrating that. We should be celebrating that. Yeah. You know? We have these players that are going to stand up and do that. So the narrative in my mind and in my family and what I can control in our community is, is that. And I think it's so important that when these things happen, we don't get dragged into other people's narratives yeah. and we don't just read stuff and consume everything we don't need to we need to write our own narrative control our own destiny and reframe things how we want to for ourselves and our, that's so important for our children as well like not just with this anything that happens what's the narrative around it and that's leadership because you can look at things in different ways you can look at things and see them as this way and go with what people that you don't even agree with are saying or you can think actually this is how I'm going to frame it for myself and I think that's what we always try and do is reframe the narrative, write our own narrative around it. And for that, for me, is that those the three black players that are missed are kings. They stood up. They played so well during the tournament. Mm. They they respect. They deserve mm. to be respected as as all the players do. And we're going to celebrate them, and we're going to continue to mm-hmm. to support them in the future. And ultimately, can I say another thing as well? Oh, that's so cool. Is that so England. Yeah, yeah, sorry, that's one thing. England historically, like you know, back in like from '96 pretty much to the World Cup in 2018. The England team mm-hmm. always played so rigidly. They were so scared of playing for England because they were so scared of making a mistake. Like the Lampards, the Gerrards, they openly admit this now, reaffirm, and they, they talk about it now. The reason we've done so well mm-hmm. in these last two tournaments is because we've had young players that have played with a freedom where they haven't worried about playing for England. They've enjoyed it. So what we're doing now is we're bringing that fear into them. We're putting yeah. that fear into them. How do you think they're going to perform? How do you think they're going to play playing for England now? They're going to be scared. Because they're going to think if I make a mistake, I get all this abuse. I'm not, you know. So it's like it's so backwards. Where mm. it's like, look, why can't we just support our players? They got to the final. Support them. The World Cup is next year. We can 
do well in the World Cup. Like, let's support our team. Why are you booing them? Why is a prime minister telling people it's okay to boo and then now, you know, saying it's so bad to be racist? It's like, mate, yeah, I think we could do a whole podcast on that entirely. But um, <laughs> yeah, I love the idea of rewriting narratives. I love the way that you put that across. And, you know, I guess just to end the podcast on a light note, I feel like, you know, there was a sense of togetherness. And I think there is, there, this, it still is. And it was a tiny bunch of people online. And the players did show amazing strength and leadership, as you say. And there is a lot to be said about coming together and the diversity of the team and the progressive attitudes of the team. So hopefully a lot of us can use the event to continue to bring ourselves together and celebrate each other. Yeah. Hopefully. Oh, hopefully. Is that too optimistic? Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you so much, Elliot, for talking to me today and for being so genuine and heartfelt and easy to talk to. And, you know, all these things that you're talking about, the conversations that you're having with the other guys around mental health and their parenting experiences is just, you know, totally groundbreaking and incredible. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thanks so much. Can I just give you a wrap up and talk about what it. we do in Music Football Farming a bit more yeah, widely? Go for it. So, so if you're listening, if you're a dad, um, please check out our website, musicfootballfatherhood.com. So we have a, a blog. It's got hundreds of articles for written by dads about all stages of the parenting journey and all different kind of topics addressed there. Um, we also yeah. have a podcast called Daddy Debates, which you can find on Spotify and iTunes, etc. And we do community events. We did one just the mon- Monday gone, which is spoken about. But we also do um, monthly sessions for new dads called The Lodge. And they are peer sessions for new dads. Um, They're free. You can come along. You can meet some like-minded people, have some fun, hear some guest speakers, and talk about some of the challenges and and also the ups um, about being a new dad too. So yeah, check us out, um, musicfootballfatherhood.com. And you can find all that stuff there along with the book as well. And also... Oh, amazing. um, I'm sure our listeners... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, one, one last thing. Apart from that, I also do talks. So oh, I spend nice. a lot of time talking to um, companies about supporting working dads as well. So recently I've been at um, De Beers, John Lewis, HSBC, loads of corporate companies, civil service, running workshops and webinars about um, bringing dads into conversations about gender equality, around masculinity, about supporting working mm-hmm. dads, about mental health. So yeah, I spend a lot of time doing that. So if you think your organization needs to bring dads into the conversation into those conversations then yeah contact me and we can we can make it happen oh amazing thanks for the information and our listeners i'm sure would love to check out those links so thanks again Thank Elliot. You. take care yeah thanks for having me oh you're welcome see you soon bye see ya.